Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I am privileged to stand before you and deliver a lesson this morning, and I hope that what you hear will give you pause, give you an opportunity to consider what God wants for us, and lift you up in a way that will take you into the coming week and throughout your life, because the message of God is designed to do that. Several years ago, this congregation was looking for a full-time minister. Like now, we, we didn't have one. The letter we sent out to applicants included a list of questions. Our purpose for issuing these questions was that we wanted to measure an applicant's familiarity with the scripture, their understanding of what the scripture had to say to us about how we should live our lives, and their ability to explain clearly and accurately what they knew and what they believed about God's message for us. I was one of the people that was selected to review the applicants' responses to our questions. It rapidly became clear to me that if I was going to evaluate the difference between a good answer and the best answer, that I was going to have to take some additional time and go back and study myself the scripture so that I would be able to evaluate properly. I went through my papers the other day and I found some of the notes that I had taken while I was doing my study in preparation for reviewing these applications. And I came across some notes that I thought would be worth sharing with you today. They related to the very first question that we, came, that we had addressed to our applicants. It was this. If someone were to say to you, I am interested in learning God's plan for me, how would you discuss God's scheme of redemption? This is an important matter for a discussion because it's not just relevant to preachers. It is something that those who are seeking salvation must understand. It is those who are seeking to explain salvation must understand. It is for all of us. And with that in mind, I want to share with you today the story of a man who talked to Jesus about this very issue. His name was Nicodemus, and it was not in Jerusalem. Turn with me to John chapter 3, and we're going to be spending our, our time this morning in John chapter 3, so just hold that place. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you, you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, one cannot see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it came from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, 
We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. We're lucky to have John's account of Jesus' meeting with Nicodemus because it, in, in it, Christ reveals what God requires of those who are seeking redemption and salvation. Nicodemus was a wealthy man. He was a teacher of theology. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And he was a ruler of the Jews. This was a man who stood out among the scholars of his time. He knew the law of Moses and the word of the prophets inside out. Having heard of Jesus' miraculous deeds, it was clear to him and others like him that Jesus had been sent by God. It was the simple logic of the Jewish mind. Those sent by God did miracles and had messages from God. Jesus did miracles, so God must want something. It's so obvious to Nicodemus that he never actually asks a question. In those first two verses, he simply says, Rabbi, we know you're from God. The implication is that God wants something, and they want to know what Jesus has to tell them. The, the answer that Jesus provides was clearly not what Nicodemus was expecting. And he challenged the religious leader in a way that was fundamental to who he was and what he thought he knew about God's desire for him. He stepped up to Jesus and says, what does God want from me? And the answer that Jesus gives floors it. Jesus' first message to this man, this scholar, is, I am more than a prophet or a teacher. I am your Savior. I am the Messiah. Jesus doesn't begin his comments with the traditional prophet statement, Thus saith the Lord. He doesn't speak as a scholar who is referring to somebody else's authority. He is speaking with his own authority. This is something that people recognized when Jesus spoke to them. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, after the Sermon on the Mount, the people were talking among themselves, and the scripture says, The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitude were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Nicodemus would have noticed the voice of authority that Jesus spoke with, and almost certainly would have recognized what Christ was claiming for himself. If Jesus was not a prophet, if he was not a teacher, then he must be the Messiah. And that is how Jesus expected to be recognized and to be acknowledged and to be treated. The second message that, that Nicodemus receives from Jesus, you've got to put your past behind you. You've got to step away from who you were. Now, the, I, Jesus in, in verse 3 says you must be born again. This concept was not strange to the Jews. It's the, it's the words they used when they talked about a Gentile who converted to Judaism. They would say that the Gentile had put their, their heathen way behind them to live a new life in, under the law of Moses in a relationship with God. So the idea of being born again was not alien to Nicodemus. However, when Jesus said that everyone must be born again, he was telling Nicodemus that the Jews were going to have to move beyond the law of Moses if they ever hoped to see the kingdom of God. Now this was a revolutionary idea. 
So revolutionary, in fact, that Nicodemus did not know quite how to respond. He's like, he's like any other faithful Jew. He takes pride in his heritage as a son of Abraham. He believes that he is one of the chosen people and that the, that the relationship that they've established with God is the relationship that God wants forever. To try and convince this man that what he has been doing is less than perfect and less than what God wants for him in the long run is hard to accept. Jesus is telling him to set it aside. The Jews had accepted that, that the Messiah was going to come and free them from their earthly oppressors. They didn't expect that he was going to liberate them from the source of the faith of hundreds of years. Not asking them to deny their past relationship with God, but to build on it for something better. How does Nicodemus respond to this? All he can say is, that's impossible. That's impossible. Jesus assures him that such a change is not only possible, it's absolutely necessary. Anyone who wants to see the kingdom of God must put their past behind them. He elaborated on the idea of putting away the old and accepting the new when he talked about being born of water and spirit. And that takes us to the third message. Take a look at John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus, said, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Jesus made it clear to Nicodemus that a new birth he was talking about began with water. It was a reference to baptism. Now, Nicodemus would have been familiar with the idea of baptism for ritual purification. It was almost certain that he knew about John the Baptist and what John the Baptist was doing in the wilderness. The people throughout Jerusalem and Judea had been responding to John's message, confessing their sins and being baptized for repentance. The Pharisees had learned of what was going on and had been interested enough to send people out to John the Baptist to find out what he was up to. Nicodemus would have been, had a harder time understanding that John's Baptist was just part of a larger process being described by Jesus in these verses. John had openly acknowledged that his baptism for repentance was inferior to the one that Christ was going to bring. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. Matthew 3, verse 12. The Pharisees have approached John the Baptist and said, Hey, Explain to us what this is you were doing. What are, what are you up to out here? And he has is, he is explained to them the basis of what, he, of what he is about in the baptism for repentance. But in, the, in verse 12 he says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that seeing the kingdom of heaven requires being born of water, he is talking about much more than just repentance. He is describing an act of obedience by one who has acknowledged their sinful nature, declared their dependence on God's mercy, and reached out to him in trust for their salvation. It is the physical act of rejecting the past in the faith that God has something better planned. That better future includes forgiveness, a clear conscience, and a heart that is open to receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to 
Message number four, you have to put on a new life. It's not enough to leave behind what you were. You must pick up something new. You must fill the void that you have created. Jesus told Nicodemus that he must be born of spirit. When baptism with water involved rejecting the past, being born of the spirit is about accepting the future and a new relationship with God. If Nicodemus had trouble with the idea of letting go of his past, you can just imagine how hard it would have been for him to grasp the idea that there was something bigger in the future, and particularly the idea of the Holy Spirit. In fairness, the promise of the Holy Spirit would only be fulfilled with Christ's death and his resurrection, so perhaps we can forgive Nicodemus for being at least a little confused. The verses suggest that Jesus himself had been a little forgiving on that front. He told Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now my understanding of this, of this comment that Jesus makes, and it is my interpretation, is that he's telling Nicodemus that he's going to have to accept not fully understanding what he's being told. He's going to have to take some things on faith, at least for a little while. You have to wonder what Nicodemus thought on the day of Pentecost, or when he heard about what had occurred on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 reads, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The whole idea that at this point in time that they are receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire are witnessed. It is a transition, a, a pivotal moment that transcends time and reaches us today. 1 Corinthians 12:13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We are all made to drink of one Spirit. It is a spirit that is not just for the apostles, is not just for those at Pentecost, it is for all of us, because it is the new life that Christ calls us to live. It is the blessing and the promise of the power that God gives us through the baptism we take in acknowledgement of the Son who died for us. Nicodemus approached Jesus with the question, what does God want from me? The answer he received clearly created an emotional and intellectual conflict for him. It was, so, it was no small thing to surrender the beliefs and behaviors that had defined who he was throughout his life. It had been the basis of his values and identity, particularly when he did not fully understand the promises associated with being born again. Because we have the scriptures, we're in a better place than Nicodemus ever was. But we're called upon to ask the same question and to stop and pause as we call, recall Christ's answers for Nicodemus. Because they are the answer he would give us today. Acknowledge that I am not just a messenger or a teacher. I'm your savior. Put your past behind you. God offers you something better. Wash away your life. Repent of your sins and be baptized. Embrace your new life. Receive redemption and the Holy Spirit. It's likely that most of us can recite John 3.16. If you're like me, it never occurred to you that, you, that this is actually an answer to Nicodemus' question in verse 9. When Nicodemus says, how can this be? 
John answers in John 3.16. Turn to John 3.16 with me. I want you to see this as an answer to a question. How can this be? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. This is the essence of the answer that Jesus gave to Nicodemus on that night in Jerusalem. And it is his answer for us today. Whether the question is, what does God want from me or what does God want for me? This verse speaks to us. If you've not set aside your past and accepted Christ as your Savior in baptism, I challenge you to ask the question that Nicodemus asked. What does God want from me? And what does he want for me? I encourage you to listen closely to Jesus' reply and respond to the invitation I'm going to offer you in a moment. If you've already responded to that invitation and been baptized into Christ, then I offer you an additional lesson from the life of Nicodemus. He had privately acknowledged to Jesus that he knew who Jesus was, that he knew he had been sent by God, and that he had something special and important from God that would change Nicodemus. Unfortunately, he was cautious about how he was willing to act on that because he was afraid of what an open demonstration of his faith would cost him. He was not alone. John chapter 12, verse 42 says, Many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We see Nicodemus mentioned two other times in the Gospel of John. In one, he is speaking out, suggesting that the Jews ought to at least hear what Jesus has to say before they take action against him. In the other, he is accompanying the man who collects Jesus' body and takes him for burial. These are acts of a man who recognizes that there is something special about Jesus. The question in my mind is, if he has proclaimed his faith and is acting on it openly, why is he still a member of the Sanhedrin? How can they tolerate his presence? There is a challenge for all of us that says, this, is not, this action that Jesus calls us to is not a once in a lifetime event. It is an everyday event. We wake to it with each new morning. It is the obligation to ask ourselves afresh, what does God want from me? And to respond, not just through the acceptance and the baptism, but the life that God would have us live. Now the world that we live in today challenges us in that. And in many ways we challenge ourselves. Like Nicodemus, we kind of like what we had in the past. And we have a tendency to migrate back to what we're comfortable with. We see the challenge that God confronts us with as having a price. And we ask ourselves on a daily basis, is the price that I'm being asked to pay too high? I suggest to you that examining what God offers us through his son says no. There is no price too high. There is no cost too great. To seize upon what we have been offered the better life, the better hope, the salvation and eternity with our God that is not worth paying, that is not worth giving. If you need to accept the invitation to baptism, this is a great opportunity for it. If you're facing a struggle that says, 
I've evaluated where I was and where I need to be, and I've fallen short. And you want help. One of the reasons that God puts you in this room with people who believe in Christ and understand God's love is because they under, he understands that there is a support structure here, that there are people who understand the challenge and want to help you with that challenge. Whatever your need may be, won't you come as we stand and sing?